Welcome to the America's Workforce Radio Podcast, the flagship production of the American Workers Radio and Podcast Network, where organized labor and its never-ending fight to protect the rights of the American worker come first. Now, presented by LIUNA, Laborers International Union of North America, here's your host, Ed Flash Ferens. The man who became a martyr for rail workers in America. The discontent among those who voted for Biden. And the Senate moves forward to avert that rail strike scheduled for one week from today. On the show today, we check in with the Columbus Central Ohio Building Trades, and it's our first Friday with Fred. Welcome to the Friday, December 2nd edition of America's Workforce, where we are available on at least six platforms, including Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Spotify, Pandora, and Stitcher. Dorsey Hager Executive Secretary Treasurer of the Columbus Central Ohio Building and Construction Trades Council will be our first guest today, columbusconstruction.org. You can follow them on Twitter at buildcentraloh. A couple things we're going to delve into. Number one, the city of Columbus and what they did to adopt a community benefit agreement. And actually, it's a committee that's working on this. Dorsey's going to give us some details on that. Big signing for a PLA at the Honda plant. They're expanding that plant. And uh, also, they're trying to get that at the Hollywood Casino Hotel, how that's going to benefit that area. And, of course, apprenticeship readiness. You know there's so many job opportunities, especially in central Ohio, which is becoming the new Silicon Valley. I mean, they have a presence of uh, Facebook, Google, and now Intel. They broke ground on the Intel plan. We'll get an update on that as well. Well, in order for all of that to happen, you need workers. You need apprenticeship programs. We'll get an update on that from Dorsey. Later in the show, Mr. Fred Redman will be joining us. It's our first Friday in December. Started this well over a year ago. Fred Redman, Secretary Treasurer, the AFL-CIO, for almost 50 years with the United Steelworkers, proud sponsor of America's Workforce. We're going to touch on the lame duck session. What's going to happen between now and the beginning of the year when the House, which will be in hands of the Republicans, will take over. We'll also take a look at what might happen when that takes place. We'll also touch on December 6th. What's December 6th? Well, that's the uh, critical election in Georgia because there was a candidate that did not achieve 50% of the vote, was just shy of that. They're having a special election in Georgia, and boy, I tell you, the AFL-CIO is doing everything possible, along with the uh, Georgia State AFL-CIO. They've got foreign phone banks, virtual phone banks going on, and uh, that's been going on for about two, three weeks now. We'll talk about early voting, the suppression of early voting. Boy, they threw everything at uh, people down in Georgia to make sure that uh, they would suppress the vote. We'll touch on that as well with Mr. Fred Redman. Now a look into the world of labor. This segment brought to you by the good folks at Boyd Watterson Asset Management. You can find more at BoydWatterson.com. Well, last couple days, you know, we've been following the possibility of a rail strike. Well, here's the latest. The Senate voted yesterday to avert that strike. The vote was 80 to 15 with Senator Rand Paul out of Kentucky voting present to pass a bill that would impose the terms 
of the contract negotiated among freight railroads and most of their unions back in September. This is the deal that Marty Walsh was involved in. Now, four out of the 12 unions involved have been holding out for additional paid sick leave, making a strike possible as early as December 9th, one week from today. Chuck Schumer, Senate Majority Leader, said, I'm very glad that the two sides got together to avoid a shutdown, which would be devastating for the American people, the American economy, and so many workers across the country. Now, on Monday, President Biden endorsed moving a bill that would impose the contract minus the sick days in what he said was the interest of avoiding a rail shutdown that could have sidelined crucial drinking water, food, energy supplies. Now, this, as I've indicated over the past couple days, it was a bitter pill to swallow, especially for organized labor and a number of Democrats who have been supporting organized labor. And this is what Biden said. I know that many in Congress shared my reluctance to override the union ratification procedures, but in this case, the consequences of a shutdown were just too great for working families all around the country. There is some talk that this would lead to 750,000 workers immediately losing their jobs. That's, that, that figure was tossed around. Now, there's some pushback. Tony Cardwell is president of the Brotherhood of Maintenance Way Employees Division, one of the four unions that rejected the uh, tentative agreement, and they're affiliated with the International Brotherhood of Teamsters. He said, what's frustrating is that the railroads know that their backstop is the federal government intervening in a strike. The railroads would have come running to the bargaining table if they knew that we would be able to go on strike. But they were reliant on the Congress stopping our strike, and therefore they bargained in bad faith. You know, he's got a really good point there. Really good point. Now, what about those uh, seven paid sick days? Well, two additional Senate votes, one to add seven paid sick days and one to extend the period during which the unions cannot strike by another 60 days, both failed. That was uh, 52 to 43 and 25 to 70, respectively. Although, I must say, the sick leave bill garnered more yes votes than no votes, including, you ready for this? Six Republicans. That's right. Six Republicans were on the side of labor. Now, here's my take on that. They knew eventually they needed 60 votes for this to happen. And they knew that it probably would not happen. So they voted on the side of workers. And here's the list. It's uh, Lindsey Graham, Josh Hawley, Marco Rubio, Ted Cruz, Michael Braun, and John Kennedy. They all voted to add sick leave while one Democrat voted no. You know who that was? Joe Manchin. (laughs) Go figure. Go figure. So um, that's where we are right now. And the next step is onto President Biden's desk, unless something else comes up between uh, now and next week. You know, at this juncture, I want to take a few minutes to talk about one individual who essentially became a martyr for the railroad workers. That person is Aaron Hiles, and this story is courtesy of the Washington Post. Aaron 
A locomotive engineer told his wife, this was uh, back in April, May, that he felt kind of different. He couldn't say exactly how, so he decided to make an appointment to see a doctor. But then his employer, BNSF, one of the largest freight rail carriers in the country, unexpectedly called him into work. Well, failing to show up would invite penalties under that new attendance system that BNSF had adopted just a few months earlier. That's the policy that the unions said, hey, it's not working, it's not good. So Aaron Hiles, 51 years of age, delayed his doctor's visit. So he went to work. A few weeks later, June 16th, Aaron Hiles suffered a heart attack, died in an engine room on a BNSF freight train. That happened somewhere between Kansas City, Missouri, and Fort Madison, Iowa. Can you imagine that? That's what started this whole thing. The policy is pretty cruel. Everybody's worried about points, said Joel Dixon, a BNSF conductor, and Aaron Hiles' best friend. He knew him for more than two decades. He said it's always a question when Aaron would still be around if he made that doctor's appointment. We were brothers. I talked to him every day. Now, BNSF would not discuss the details of Aaron Hiles' death, but pointed out that employees receive generous vacation packages and are able to take time off when needed without fear of retribution. The company said that it is committed to working with employees when extenuating circumstances arise, but that the points-based policies are necessary. You know why? They want to keep the trains running. That's what they're all about, and they're making a whole lot of money. There's no doubt about it. These policies date back several years to 2020 when Union Pacific, one of the country's largest carriers, rolled out new rules to help ensure staffing during the pandemic. Under the policies, employees are granted a certain number of points which are deducted when they miss a request to come into work or call out of work unexpectedly. If their point totals fall too low, the penalties add up, and that could mean the loss of your job. BNSF adopted its own points-based attendance policy in February of this year. The unions call the policy the worst and the most egregious attendance policy ever adopted by any rail carrier. The company, BNSF, said the policy was implemented to incentivize consistent and reliable attendance amid increased demand for smooth-running services. And they also pointed out that employees can gain points by agreeing to be on call for 14 days straight. Let's work you to death, right? So anyway, I just wanted to share with you the story about that one individual who said, you know what, I'm scared to take a day off because of the policy at the rail industry. And that person is not with us today. All right, we have to take a quick break. Dorsey Hager, on behalf of the Columbus Central Ohio Building Trades, coming up next. This is America's Workforce. It takes Lyuna to build North America's infrastructure. From roads and bridges to schools and skyscrapers, the men and women of Lyuna, the Laborers International Union of North America, build the projects we depend on. From constructing the Freedom Tower on the site of the former World Trade Center to untangling Washington, D.C.'s congested interstate, Lyuna members do the work that matters. 
Find out what it takes to be built by Layuna at Layuna.org. That's L-I-U-N-A dot org. The United Auto Workers are one of the largest and most diverse unions in North America, with members in virtually every sector of the economy. Learn more about this proud sponsor of our program at UAW.org. From the Golden Gate Bridge to the St. Louis Gateway Arch, the Sears Tower, and just about every building, bridge, and structure in between, our cities and towns wouldn't be the same without iron workers. With over 3,000 contractors employing more than 130,000 highly trained iron workers and 20,000 apprentices, the Iron Workers Union stands ready and able to shape the future of our skylines. Learn more at ironworkers.org. Iron Workers, the sky's the limit. America's Workforce Radio is sponsored in part by the International Union of Painters and Allied Trades, District Council 6, representing painters, glazers, drywall finishers, and sign and display industry workers. They remind you that belonging to a union is your right as an American. Now, back to America's Workforce. Here's Ed Flash Ferens. And don't forget, you can check us out on Facebook or follow us on Twitter. That would be AWF Union Podcast. By the way, this next segment brought to you in part by the Ohio Federation of Teachers. You can find more at oh.aft.org. Let's go to Central Ohio right now. Welcome one of our regulars. Always love talking to this guy. He's so darn connected. Making things happen. And I'll tell you, there's a lot of things happening in Central Ohio. Dorsey Hager is Executive Secretary Treasurer of the Columbus Central Ohio Building and Construction Trades Council. Mr. Hager, I got to ask you, I mean, the big story, and this is a national story, is the uh, the Intel project down there. And I know they broke ground a couple, maybe about six weeks ago. How are we doing? Is, is, are, is everything moving in the right direction? Fill me in, buddy. Yeah, I mean, everything's moving in the right direction. You, you and I have talked about this since the announcement last January. And, um, you know, we know with a uh, job of this size and this scope and this magnitude, especially when you're dealing with the human element, that things are going to pop up with uh, with manpower needs, uh, supply chain issues, schedules. Obviously, we have the unpredictability of weather here in Ohio. We've been fortunate the last couple of winters, but you know we have that unpredictability. Um, but but right now, you know, it, it, it's uh, we're we're ahead of the game. Uh, we've got people out there moving dirt and stuff. Um, they're getting ready to break ground after the first of the year. We're having discussions, I think, the week of Christmas. Yeah, Christmas is on a Sunday this year, isn't it? So, yeah, the week of Christmas, we're going to have discussions uh, with Bechtel, who was announced. Uh, I mean, the world's worst-kept secret, but they were finally announced that they were the uh, the contractor for the two fabs and, and for the first $20 billion. But um, we have a meeting with uh, Bechtel's team and uh, our members of the managers and agents of the building trades, and we're going to talk about you know, uh, work assignments. We're going to talk about uh, uh, scope of work coming out. We're going to talk about packages. Uh, we're going to go over some designs and stuff uh, just to get ready and gear up. And then I would say January 1st, we're going to hit the ground running. Uh, the underground is going to begin. We're going to start dispatching people out. I would say more laborers, more operating engineers, uh, lots of iron workers, plumbers, pipe fitters, uh, electricians. Um, we're going to get them all dispatched out there to get the, the fab start coming, you know, pouring the cement, coming out of the ground. The only thing that I'm seeing right now in supply chain issues, i got to wrap my head around it a, a, a little bit better, um, is there's it, – and it's not just Intel. It's all of Central Ohio. I guess there was a change uh, adopted from the federal government dealing with uh, concrete and cement and stuff uh, when it comes to the mixture and stuff. And there's an element that's been added. I think it's a type of limestone or something. And that's kind of set people back 
here in central Ohio. And, and right now we're looking at, uh, for a yard of concrete, the price has, has increased about $65 a yard because of this extra additive. Um, so I'm sure we're going to talk about that here in a couple of weeks and what we're going to do. But, uh, yeah, I mean, it's exciting stuff. A lot of phone calls, a lot of emails, a lot of texts, uh, people from all over the country, uh, you know, inquiring about that, not just contractors, but, but maybe union workers that are in other parts of the, of the country that are in markets that are slow or maybe a little soft or that love to work on these uh, big data center and uh, fabs and, 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 pro- and projects, you know, like in Portland and Arizona and Austin, also calling, inquiring, and we're taking all their information and we're getting ready to roll. But uh, I would say probably by this summer, I mean, I don't know 100%. But I think the forecast that I'm looking at is probably about 5,500 people, maybe 7,000 on site by the middle of summer. So that's what we're hopeful for, and that's what we're shooting for, and I think that's what it's going to be. Dorsey, you mentioned that $65 a yard increase on cement. Do you know percentage-wise how much uh, how much of an increase that is? I'd say it's about 35%. Ooh. <laughs> that's, yeah. That's, yeah. that's so steep. And it's really a yeah, and it's really, I mean, this is a separate issue for a separate show, but it's really affecting the home builders and stuff because, you know, when you're building a $400,000 home and you've got one part of the home that's 35% increase, it's really, you know, factoring into that. Plus with, uh, you know, with, uh, with with home loans and mortgage rates going up and the Fed increases, which it looks like it's going to stall now for a little bit, which is good as inflation is dropping a little bit. But um, it's, it's really going to affect that because, you know, we need we need homes, we need condos, we need apartments, we need hotels. You know, last week after our show, um, I was, you know, driving home to start the weekend and uh, later in the day, and I got a call from a local banker here, large bank, um, and uh, they said, hey, we're finalizing a deal to build 30 hotels in Licking County, and that's, that's where Intel and Facebook and, is in Licking County. They're like, we're finalizing a deal to build 30 hotels. You guys, you guys got the people to build it, right? And I'm like, oh, yeah, we got the people. Sure, go ahead, build the hotels. Those people out there are going to have a place to stay, too. So, Dorsey, I'm glad you shared that uh, information with us regarding the cement, because on this end, I was hearing that the cement prices were going up because of the infrastructure bill and the demand, you know, obviously with highway construction and all that. But um, that's interesting. And so they're adding limestone, which is, uh, I, I would imagine it's going to be stronger for the concrete. I don't know. There's got to be some scientific reason why they're doing that. But again, there's going to be a cost factor, and that's going to affect just about everything in the country. While we're talking about building, let's, let's plow into this uh, PLA signing with uh, Honda. Honda's expanding, and also what's going on with the uh, Hollywood Casino Hotel? Can you fill us in there? Yeah, so Honda, obviously a huge announcement. Uh, again, probably one of the worst-kept secrets since the end of the summer, but they had picked Fayette County and Jeffersonville, which is right off of Cincinnati, or right off of 71, halfway between Columbus and Cincinnati, they had picked a huge industrial site there that was prepped and ready uh, to go um, for whoever wanted to come in and and, and take over the site uh, to develop it. But they uh, had taken over a site there and purchased, and they're going to build on it. And um, it's going to be their electric electric battery plant for their electric vehicles. So right now we're probably looking at about four, four and a half billion dollars with infrastructure and everything probably closer to $5 billion, um, anywhere from 4,300 to 55 tradespeople down there. When the job's complete, Honda will employ about 2,300 workers at the site. So I know people in southwest Ohio are really happy and looking forward to the project. 
obviously when we began our discussions with Honda, which we have a tremendous relationship with, um, special relationship that we've had since the 80s when they first built the motorcycle plant, then expansion into the car plant, all the way up in the transmission plant, paint booth expansion here a few years ago when I first took over the building trades and now uh, this electric uh, battery vehicle plant. Um, you know, Honda reached out, and obviously their concerns were manpower. You know, we talk about it all the time. I talk about it to my members. Um, I met with uh, some people who are looking to come and build here in Central Ohio this week, and they always have two questions. Do you have the people to build it? they accurately reflect the community in which we're building in, which means women, people of color, and, and also veterans. Um, we answered those questions well. We went through the timeline and the schedule with them. We obviously told them that we could take care of this for them. Uh, we negotiated a project labor agreement, which is a standard set of rules and working conditions for all the trades and all the contractors that are going to be on the project. And they agreed to it, and we agreed to it, and we're Got to sign off on it and had an event down there at Honda a couple weeks ago. We're really excited about it. Um, packages for that are going out. They started moving dirt on November 15th. They want to break ground right after January 1st. Uh, it's an aggressive timeline, and it's an aggressive project. Um, by the early part of 2024, they want to be mass-producing batteries um, that will meet EPA standards and all the other standards um, for electric vehicles. Uh, with the hopes of by the summer of 2024 producing batteries to go to market, so very aggressive timeline. Uh, but but we're gonna we're gonna hit the benchmarks. We're gonna get them the people. We're gonna get them the quality people, and we're gonna help this project come in on time, under budget, and done safely. And uh, and uh, we're gonna continue that relationship with Honda, and we're gonna continue these relationships with these mega projects that seem to be calling Ohio their home. Yeah. How are we doing with the apprenticeship programs? I mean, you, you keep mentioning about uh, getting that workforce. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think I know yeah. where we're going with this. <laughs> no, no. I mean, it's, 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 it's a tremendous opportunity. I mean, she's been on your show before and I know uh, she gets calls also and texts and emails from all over the country. Uh, Kelly here our communications and outreach director, uh, works closely with Leland Bass, our program manager on building futures and driving futures. Um, we're just having amazing outreach events. We had one at Hilliard a couple months ago. We'll come in the door. We had an outreach event that we followed up at Groveport Madison where we had over a thousand people come in the door. Um, you know, the incredible opportunity for us is that we have the ability to go out, whether it's a kid that's in eighth grade or a kid that's a junior or, or a kid that's a senior. I met with a group of seniors uh, this week. I can sit down and I can tell them no matter what your passion or what your interest is in, or what your ability is in, whether you want to be an electrician or a laborer or a pipe fitter or an insulator, like you, you, you fill out this, you go to building futures or you apply for this trade and you get accepted. And, you know, once you finish your apprenticeship, you know, you're looking at 20 to 25 years of continuous work because of all the projects that are going on. Plus you mentioned at the beginning and we haven't even gotten into the infrastructure yet. Um, you know, you're looking at 20 to 25 years of continuous work nonstop. Um, where you're going to be making, you know, seventy-five to one hundred seventy-five thousand dollars a year, and and that's real. We have people right now working at a lot of these data centers and some of these mega projects right now, you know, that are that are pulling in one hundred seventy-five thousand dollars a year. So the opportunities there, the opportunities real. When you talk to these kids, they see it. When you talk to their parents, I think they see it and understand it too. And as we educate them better and educate the community better about what construction is like. Um, you know, and, and the and the, the technology and how nice the job sites are and everything, um, it's 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 really it's really changing 
uh, people's minds and they're realizing they can get right into the middle class without any college debt or, or anything. So just by going through an apprenticeship. So it's a great opportunity, but we're doing a ton of outreach. We're stepping up building futures. We're looking at expansion of building futures. We're obviously going to expand driving futures. We talked about the cement. We're going to need more cement drivers. We're going to need more dump truck drivers. going to need more everything. So, you know, last year we put 100 kids through driving futures. This year we put 200 kids through driving futures. Our goal next year is 500 uh, kids. And that's people out of high school. That's people that are unemployed or underemployed or looking for a new job or a new career change to get right in the middle class. So uh, we're definitely working hard with our partners, the county, the NAACP, creating Central Ohio Futures. We're doing all the outreach we can, letting all these people know about all these great union jobs. And our apprenticeship programs and training directors are really stepping up, too, as they increase their ranks and they become more creative on what they can do with their apprenticeship programs to be able to handle uh, higher apprentice uh, levels as well. So it's going to be a good thing. We just got to keep feeding the pipeline, feeding the pipeline, and bringing people in. Because like I said, you know, this is uh, a lot of work a lot of investment already and uh and, it, and it's going to be a bright future here in columbus and central Ohio for the next 20 to 25 years great time for the trades no doubt about that dorsey hager joining us on our live line as he does each and every month on the first friday of each month he's executive secretary treasurer of the columbus central ohio building and construction trades council you can follow him at build central oh and that's exactly what's happening in central ohio a lot of building going on we'll continue with dorsey later in the show fred redmond Our first Friday with Fred. Back in a few minutes, you're listening to America's Workforce. You're listening to America's Workforce with Ed Flash Ferens. It takes Lyuna to power North America with affordable energy. The men and women of Lyuna, the Laborers International Union of North America, have the skills needed to build and maintain oil, natural gas, nuclear, solar, and wind projects that are shaping America's energy future. From new energy tech to retrofitted facilities, Lyuna members do it all. Find out what it takes to be powered by Lyuna at Lyuna.org. That's L-I-U-N-A. You're listening to America's Workforce, and this upcoming segment is brought to you by the United Labor Agency. They connect people with employment, 216-666-2185. You can find them online at ulagency.org. Hello from the Communication Workers of America, District 4. We are a labor union representing a vast array of workers in different industries, including the Association of Flight Attendants, Telecommunications, CWA Passenger Services, Public Health Care, and Education Workers, the IUE, CWA Industrial Division, the National Association of Broadcast Employees, the CWA News Guild, not to mention our growing digital sector, and many others. If you're interested in organizing your work group or learning more about what it means to be CWA strong, visit our website at www.cwad4.org. That's cwad4.org. America's Workforce appreciates our sponsor, the Columbus Central Ohio Building and Construction Trades Council, who represents more than 18,000 workers from 19 affiliated local unions and district councils. Now, back to Ed Flash Ferrens with America's Workforce. And don't forget, you can check us out on at least six platforms. That includes Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Spotify, Pandora, and Stitcher. When you get an opportunity, here's what you do. Just sign up and receive our shows on a regular basis and give us a rating. We always appreciate those five-star ratings, so please keep them coming. By the way, this next segment brought to you in part 
by the North Coast Labor Federation. Let's go back to uh, Central Ohio right now. Dorsey Hager joining us on behalf of the Columbus Central Ohio Building and Construction Trades Council. Dorsey, I want to talk about this uh, Community Benefit Agreement Committee, but first, last time you and I talked, it was right before the midterm elections, and uh, you touched on that. Obviously, there's some candidates that you were pushing, labor-friendly candidates. How did how did we fare in, in Central Ohio? Well, give, give us a little rundown, if you don't mind. Wow, that seems like uh, that seems like years ago, months ago, but uh, but no, it was only a few weeks ago. So obviously the big one, and, and uh, you know, incredibly devastated. My wife and I were watching the election results, and next morning we we had breakfast and we talked about it. But heavily invested, not only because uh, incredible candidate, incredible person, incredible public servant, but a close personal friend to both of us. But my wife and I were really upset about Tim Ryan, but uh, the one thing, and, and, you know, I gave him a couple of days because I know he was probably getting bombarded with phone calls and texts and TV interview requests and radio interview requests, but I, I talked to him the other day and I just said, man, you know, and Tim played quarterback at Youngstown State, you know, and, and just did a great, great job. But but to use the sports analogy, I said, uh, I said, you know, I said, uh, you left it all on the field. I said, you did everything you could. You raised a ton of money. Uh, you spoke to workers' issues. You rallied workers. You rallied unions. You got endorsements. You talked about everything we're doing uh, with apprenticeship programs and creating pathways to the middle class and electric vehicle and just and just everything and left it on the field. So you know, my my wife said, you know, you know what happened, and I said, well, I said, it, you know, kind of like Ohio State's defense. I don't have a lot of faith in Ohio anymore either. <laughs> I said we keep electing, we keep electing candidates who don't serve our interests very well. And, and, you know, and I said, and the other thing I said, you know, poor Tim, I said, you know, he did everything he could, but you know, the Republicans knew that they were going to lose Pennsylvania and that Fetterman was going to flip that seat. So they dumped all their money in Ohio to try to keep the seat, which they did. And I said, it's just, you know, it's just tough. It's really tough. So very disappointing, but happy, happy for the, for the effort and everything that he did. And, you know, they say sometimes the end doesn't justify the means. And I think this is a very, very good, uh, good one here jennifer bruner also i mean the judges you know that was tough kind of followed the top of the ticket with the disappointment you know at the top of the ticket but uh, jennifer bruner it was sad to see that on a happy note some local races uh bill Sperlaza, a very good friend of mine uh a judge that we endorsed worked his tail off raised a lot of money got out there and did everything he could and uh he did a great job he got elected i'm so excited for him Kristen Boggs, another close personal friend of mine who served at the state house. Um, she worked for two attorneys general, um, uh, Republican and a Democrat, uh, great legal mind, uh, great politician, hard worker, community advocate, pro labor, long lineage and history. Uh, you know, she's the daughter, uh, of, of, uh, a former state rep and the, and the niece of another, but she's got elected to the court of appeals. Her and Carly Edelstein, they'll do great. And those Court of Appeals jobs are so, so very, very important. Doug Nobles is another guy who got elected to judge here locally. And you and I talk all the time about how important these judge races are. And then the last one that just became final two days ago, a good friend of mine, uh, he's going to be term limited now that he got reelected. This is his last term. But um, um, uh, Rich Brown was drawn into a gerrymandered Republican district because they wanted that seat back and he was in house leadership and they wanted that seat back um he was uh fought his butt off was down i think 94 votes on election night the provisionals and the absentees came back 
He swung the race by uh, 256. Uh, there was a 256-vote swing, so I think he ended up winning by a little over 100 votes. Now, there'll be a mandatory recount, but in Franklin County, uh, our elections officials and our board of elections, they do a tremendous job. If it was three, five votes, I might be a little nervous, but over 100 votes, he should withstand that recount, and he'll be reelected for his last term to the state house. So there was some good and there was some bad. You look across the nation, I was happy that we kept the Senate seat in Nevada. I think Warnock's going to win the runoff this weekend. Uh, in Georgia, um, you know, incredibly happy for John Fetterman. I mean, a guy that battled adversity with the stroke, and I think we all talked about when his staff put him up on that debate stage and the and the and the physical things that he was going through to rebound from that. But uh, great race. So there was there were some good things and there were some bad things, and I think I was proud of a lot of House Democrats that fought their butts off across the country in districts they weren't supposed to win, that they did win, and everybody talked about this huge Republican landslide. They were going to gain 60 to 80 seats. Then they kind of uh, tampered it back and said they were going to gain 30 seats. And then, you know, I think they only gained a handful of seats, which gives them a very slim majority in the House. So, yeah, But yeah. all in all, not a bad election night, I guess. Clearly not as bad as what many pollsters had predicted. No doubt about that. All right, let's move on to this uh, Community Benefit Agreement Committee. And it's my understanding that the city of Columbus adopted this. Can you explain what this is all about, Dor- Dorsey? Yeah, so... Uh, Speaking of politics and elections, Mayor Ginther uh, is officially on the ballot now for his third term. He announced this week his re-election, and he'll be running again in 2023. Here in Columbus, and in, uh, Columbus uh, City Council expands to nine. Um, we have some members of City Council that are incredibly pro-labor, of course. Uh, President Shannon Harden, whose brother is an IBW member Christian, and then IBW member Rob Dorrance, who's legal counsel for Act Ohio and the State Building Trades. But um, a couple of years ago, Mayor Ginther had reached out, and also Shannon and obviously Rob, and talked about using community benefit agreements uh, to not only make sure that a lot of the projects that Columbus does are done on time and under budget safely, but also are doing outreach to, again, women, people of color, vets, local people, and giving them opportunities uh, to work on these projects here as we expand our, our programs and uh, and do more do more outreach and do more work within the community. Um, We've done two community benefit agreements, one on a fire station, one on the Linden Rec Center. Credible results. Everyone's really happy. So we talked about how we could expand this. So with our partnership with the NAACP and President Nana Watson, she kind of spearheaded this. Uh, you know, about a year of discussions, conversations, uh, working on not only the policy part of it, but also the politics part of it within the communities and stuff. And we've developed legislation that was passed last week where we're going to establish a community benefit agreement committee, which will consist of nine people. So there'll be labor leaders, uh, community leaders representing the NAACP, building trades leaders, uh, members of local government and stuff. And we will be working uh, to going through these job sites and, and making recommendations to the mayor and the administration, which projects should have community benefit agreements on them you know, based on different variables and stuff, and also tying that into, again, aspirational goals and outreach uh, to get people, local members of the community, onto these projects, and also local contractors as well. So everybody's really excited about it. Our members are excited about it. Um, You know, just you follow this up with the strengthening of fair contracting and then also the wage theft legislation that was passed in the spring, and I told President Harden this the other morning when we were at breakfast, and, and also Councilman Dorans. I mean, I think this is the most pro-labor administration that we've seen in the city of Columbus, 
easily in my labor career, but for sure in my lifetime as well. So we're really excited about what this is not only going to do for labor, but also what it's going to do for the community. You know, a rising tide lifts all boats. And as we get more people into these union jobs and these apprenticeship programs and these and, and these opportunities, there's going to be more chances for them to get on that direct path in the middle class, which is going to solve all the problems of, you know, poverty, lack of education, lack of job training and everything. So we're really excited about it. It's amazing. You've got a pro-labor administration, and you're seeing tremendous, and I mean tremendous, growth in central Ohio. It all fits together. It's all happening. All good stuff. Good stuff. Build Central OH, that's the Twitter handle, columbusconstruction.org. Dorsey Hager, Executive Secretary Treasurer of the Columbus Central Ohio Building and Construction Trades Council. You take care. This is our last segment. In uh, 2020, Dorsey, what happened to 2022? This year just flew by. Tell you what, when you're out chasing multi-billion dollar projects and you're recruiting thousands of people and you're signing legislation and changing people's lives, I guess the calendar flies a little faster. So maybe we'll try to repeat the whole thing in 2023 as well, I guess. There you go. You take care. Have a wonderful holiday. We'll talk to you in the new year. Okay, brother? All right. You too. Thanks so much, Flash. Have a great holiday and a great new year. All right, we're going to take a quick break. First Friday with Fred. Fred Redmond, Secretary-Treasurer of the AFL-CIO, coming up next. This is America's Workforce. More shows available at awfradio.com. It takes Lyuna to keep America running. Over 70,000 public employees are part of Lyuna, the Laborers International Union of North America delivering critical services such as health care and emergency response, as well as maintaining roads and sanitation systems. Even the National Postal Mail Handlers Union, representing over 47,000 U.S. postal workers, is affiliated with LIUNA. Find out what it takes for LIUNA to keep America running at LIUNA.org. That's L-I-U-N-A dot America's Workforce is sponsored in part by Boyd Watterson Asset Management, LLC. Find out more about our investment solutions tailored to meet the needs of Taft-Hartley funds at voidwaterson.com. There is unity and strength for workers. We are the USW. We are the USW. The United, United Steelworkers. Steel the largest industrial union in North America. We represent 850,000 members in, in the, the US, US, Canada, and, and the, the Caribbean. Caribbean. We work in metals, rubber, chemicals, paper, oil refining, atomic energy, and the service sector. We are steel workers, standing strong and fighting for what's right. This segment of America's Workforce is brought to you by Survey and Ballot Systems. SBS has been providing unions with secure and flexible election options for over 30 years. Visit surveyandballotsystems.com to learn more. Now... Back to America's Workforce. Here's Ed Flash Ferens. Hey, don't forget, you can check us out on Facebook or follow us on Twitter. That would be AWF Union Podcast, AWF Union Podcast. And do keep in mind, if you like a show, share that show. We count our downloads, sponsors like that. We want to grow America's Workforce, and you can help us do that. AWFpodcast.com is a website to go to. All right, let's go to uh, line number two. And this is our segment we started well over a year ago. It's the first Friday with Fred. Fred Redmond, Secretary-Treasurer of the AFL-CIO. Busy guy doing a lot of campaigning during the midterms. That's not over yet. We're still working on Georgia. We'll talk about that. But first and foremost, as you know, 
It's been a tough couple of weeks here dealing with the rail industry. And as I indicated at the top of the show, the Senate did move forward to avert a rail shutdown, which was pretty much scheduled for one week from today. Fred Redmond, this was a tough one here. I've been reading a lot of stories about workers feeling betrayed because Biden, mm-hmm. hey, Biden loves unions. He said the unions built the middle class. He said that a number of times. And they're feeling that uh, that he sold them out. So first off, welcome back to America's Workforce. And talk to me about that, Fred. What, what are you hearing? Yeah, well, thanks a lot, Flash. Uh, I think, uh, you know, in order to talk about this, we really have to put it, take a second and just put it into perspective. Because, look, bargaining with the rail companies, um, what they were bargaining was a new five-year contract. And this bargaining started back in November of 2019. And in January of this year, 2022, it reached impasse. And uh, in July, President Biden created the Presidential Emergency Board. Um, and this board provided recommendations to break that impasse and facilitate the adoption of a tentative agreement. And with the help of the administration and Secretary Marty Walsh, um, you know, we were able to reach a tentative agreement. And once the TAs was put in place, the unions took the, took the temporary agreement to the members for ratifications. Now, there's 12 rail unions that form the uh, Railway Association of Unions, and eight ratified the contract, and four did not. Now, um, you know, under these contracts, they have a clause where they don't cross each other's picket lines. So if the four locals would have went on strike, all 12 of them would have went on strike, which which would have caused a national rail shutdown, which would have cost about, I heard figures anywhere from a billion to a billion and a half dollars per day. So, you know, look, the the, the main issues for rail workers are the lack of paid sick days, okay, and 24-hour on-call scheduling. And neither one of those issues was included in the tentative agreement. Uh, The rail companies just wouldn't budge on sick leave, despite the fact that they've made record profits. But, you know, the thing that I want your viewers to understand is, you know, this is the best contract we've seen in the rail industry in a number of years. The agreement did include 24% wage increases over five years, a cap on health care premiums, protections preventing any further crew reductions. uh, And I'm talking about something like $16,000 in monies up front, you know, upon the signing of the agreement. Now, the issue of paid sick days is a critical issue. Flash, we believe every worker in America, and we've been fighting this ever since the Family Medical Leave Act was put in. We believe that every worker in America should be paid paid sick days. America is the only industrialized country in the world that don't have some sort of provision or some sort of laws for paid sick days. So two bills was put before the house um and 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 both bills cleared the house then it went to the senate the first bill was to impose the uh temporary agreement which passed yesterday in the senate and the second bill was to provide seven days of paid sick leave uh which was you know didn't reach the 60 vote threshold in order to pass in the senate so 
we live to fight another day. You know, we live to fight another day. Uh, we think that this agreement will improve the lives of railroad workers. But the fight for, and President Biden said this, the fight for paid sick leave continues for rail workers and for all workers in this country. And uh, we will not give up until that becomes a reality. Yeah, this was a tough one. And, and you, you yeah, see both was. sides of this. That's the crazy thing. And, and, and Fred, you've been through labor negotiations all your life. And, and you know you're not going to get 100% of the people on board. I mean, that's just a fact. But uh, yeah. I'm hoping, I'm hoping. You think, though, in your heart, you think that down the road they're going to be able to change that policy? Because right now, it's hard for them to find workers because of that policy. I mean, eventually yeah, I things are going to have to road, change. Right. I, I think down the road, the United States and employers, the U.S. Chamber, uh, business chamber, the, 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 the manufacturing chambers, employers around this country have come to the realization that a benefit to retain workers would be to provide some form of paid sick leave. Um, you know, we have a situation in America where workers have to use up their vacation time. In a lot of cases, if they get sick, a lot of time workers get sick and have to go through that period of recovery without no income coming in. We have some places that have uh, paid um, leave and, and, and what happens if the paid leave do not equate to what they lost their wages, you know, they get a percentage of that. So what you have is you have a situation where workers come to work sick. In a lot of cases, this spread diseases and germs to other employees, but it's not a good situation for American workers to be in. Mm -hmm. So it's a continuing fight. The pre this president is committed to passing a, uh, a legislation that will provide pay sick leave to all workers throughout this country. And, uh, you know, that's a fight that we're, that, that the labor movement is anxious to have. All right, let's switch gears here a little bit. We've got a couple sure. of weeks to go in the lame duck. A couple of issues mm -hmm. uh, you want to take a look at here. And obviously, uh, there's going to be some changes in the House at the first of the year. So what do you yeah. see happening here, Fred? Well, first of all, Flash, the biggest issue before organized labor is funding for the NLRB. We have uh, a number, a record number. They can't keep up because of the lack of staff. We have a record number of organizing petitions that's sitting at the NLRB, charges against employers for violating organizing drives, violating the rights of workers to organize unions. We have charges. Uh, for, about workers being fired for trying to start a union. And there's a tremendous backlog that we have never seen before at the National Labor Relations Board. And the reason being is because the Congress has starved the NLRB over the last few years. I mean, they do not have enough manpower. They do not have enough staff to um, deal with the backlog of complaints that's been filed over the last two years. So, you know, our biggest issue is funding for the National Labor Relations Board. The bill is going to come up in the lame duck session. And, uh, you know, I would ask your um, callers to please, please call their congressmen, call their senators, and tell them that we must fund the National Labor Relations Board. Funding for the NLRB is a huge issue. 
that, um, you know, we hope to see pass in this lame duck session. Anything else you want to call attention to? Well, we have a couple of uh, appointments that's been languishing. We have two uh, good labor candidates, and I'm sorry I don't have their names in front of me, Flash, but we got two labor candidates uh, to the National Labor Relations Board who's uh, been languishing in the, uh, you know, the, 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 the House of Congress will not approve their uh, appointments to the National Labor Relations Board. We would like to see that come up in this lame duck session. session. So those are two key issues, okay? Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of important bills before the uh, NLRB. I'm sorry, it's it coming up in this lame duck session, but funding for the NLRB and appointments to the, to the NLRB board that's been sitting in the Congress for a couple of years, uh, you know, and that will help improve the backlog also are our two fundamental issues. Well, hopefully we can wrap that up, especially before uh, the House Absolutely. goes to the Republicans in the beginning of the year. Right. Speaking right. of which, uh, hey, congratulations to uh, what the AFL-CIO and all unions did in America in the midterms because that much-predicted red wave did not happen. And that being said... We ain't done yet. Talk to me about Georgia, Fred. I know that's in your uh, it's in your sights. Well, we're feeling very good about Georgia. We're we're, we're very optimistic. Um, we have hundreds of people on the ground throughout Georgia. Uh, our people organize labor. We really push for our people to come out and vote early, and we've got some very good responses. On tomorrow, Saturday, there will be a huge labor march in Atlanta. Uh, led by President Leah Shula, the AFL-CIO, and national presidents from around the country. But look, um, we're we're feeling very optimistic. The um, uh, labor movements, the the labor unions have all kicked in. Uh, We have hundreds or hundreds of people on the ground, and uh, our union members in Georgia have really responded and came out in massive numbers. Look, we have to keep the sentiment. I, I'm keep the Senate as a legitimate body. Okay, mm-hmm. when we talk about appointments to the Supreme Court, uh, you know, this isn't no time to, you know, put people, uh, you know, to make people senators who don't have the ability to govern. And uh, we cannot make a mockery out of the process. So it's important that rep- that Reverend Raphael Warnock be reelected over Herschel Walker. Uh, so, you know, we, we're feeling very optimistic. The turnout has been great so far. I heard it's over a million and a half people have voted early. Uh, and a lot of those were Democratic voters throughout the state. We really made a major push to uh, get out our votes. And uh, so we're feeling optimistic. And uh, we want to get past Tuesday so we can move on. And and despite what they did in Georgia, because they really tightened the rules yeah. on, on voting in Georgia, you, you can't even give somebody a bottle of water when they're standing in line 
and you know, there's some hot days in Georgia. We all know that. Right. And so, so right. what they did, I, I got a, <laughs> you, you know, you can't keep people down, Fred. You can't keep people down. I saw this story yesterday. Apparently, one of the polling places, which is a library in Atlanta, mm-hmm. they knew that. I guess the rules are you have to be at least 150 feet from a right, polling right, place. Right, so what they right. did, they, they yeah. set up a couple of tents. They brought in a sound system. They, they turned it into a block party, and it was a right, get out the exactly. vote. Exactly. <laughs> right. You know, it's almost like building a wall, you know. You build a 12-foot wall, somebody want to be free, they're going to build a 14-foot ladder, you know. Oh, so, my gosh. You know, in terms of ingenuity, I mean, we have uh, – we have people posted a block from polling places, stopping cars, approaching polling places, making sure they got food and water before they get in line. So, I'm, I'm, I mean, look, you cannot, when people are fighting for democracy, Flash, you know, you can't stop them. I mean, you know, people want a, a uh, fair government. People want democracy. And, uh, you know, you can't give them water in line. But believe me, they're not going to go thirsty. Okay? You got it, That's my friend. That's our commitment as the labor movement, work with our partners and allies. And, uh, you know, Georgia is a good example that democracy will prevail. And, uh, you know, we're fighting like hell down there. And I'm so proud of all of the labor unions throughout this country who put people on the ground in Georgia. We're looking forward to a victory on Tuesday. Yeah, they got a good guy there in the uh, Labor Federation, Charlie uh, Fleming. He's been there. Charlie Fleming, yeah. Yeah, good dude, good dude. Yeah, he said that he's going to – I think he's going to retire after this. Yeah, he's he's retiring at the end of the year. Yeah, he's retiring. Charlie has been a strong labor leader in Georgia. He's leaving a uh, good person in charge, Yvonne Brooks, and uh, she'll she'll be succeeding Charlie. And uh, Charlie have built something that's going to last in the state of Georgia for a long time. There you go. Fred Redman, first Friday with Fred, Secretary Treasurer of the AFL-CIO, AFLCIO.org. For more information, you take care. We'll talk to All you right. in January 2023. Okay. All right. Hopefully we'll have some good news. We have some good stuff to talk about in January. You got it, my friend. And that'll be it for another edition of America's Workforce. Coming up on Monday, we're going to check in with the Allied Pilots Association and the electrical workers in Florida. Until then, all of you have a safe and wonderful day. That concludes another episode of the America's Workforce radio podcast. Thanks for listening. And be sure to subscribe so you never miss a show. America's Workforce is a production of Labor Tools and BMA Media Group. Find out more information online at labortools.com.